This morning, I want to focus our attention on verse 21. The words that the angel speaks to Joseph. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let us pray. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you stand on the campus of Asbury University in front of Hughes Auditorium, you will notice that on the left, carved into stone, are these words. Free salvation for all men. Full salvation from all sin. At the very heart of the Asbury community, Asbury University and here at Asbury Theological Seminary, we believe that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, became incarnate in order to make salvation available to every person. And what is that salvation that Christ makes available to every person? It is full salvation from all sin. In the moments that we have before us, I want to reflect on the meaning of Jesus' name. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Full salvation from all sin. First of all, Jesus saves us from the guilt of sin. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All Gentiles have sinned. All Jews have sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. We are guilty before God for our sin. We stand under God's condemnation. We are threatened by God's judgment for our sin. But we recognize readily that through the work that Christ does on the cross, through the work of atonement, through the blood that our Lord shared, that we experience pardon from sin. Our sins are forgiven. The guilt of our sin is absolved. Now it's quite possible for us to see this forgiveness of sins, this pardon of sin, as a perfunctory act of God, an expected act of God. It's possible for us not to truly appreciate or truly be grateful for what Christ has done in saving us from the guilt of sin. But if you have ever felt the weight of guilt, if you have ever carried the shame of sin, if you've ever experienced self-loathing for the evil that you have done, then you can begin to appreciate the beauty and the power that in Christ Jesus we are set free from the guilt of our sins. 
in my own life, I know what it is to do irreparable harm to people. I know what it is to go to individuals that I have harmed and seek their forgiveness and be denied that forgiveness. When I was in 10th grade, we had a new pre-calculus teacher by the name of Mr. Heron. And this was before I was a Christian and Mr. Heron just rubbed me the wrong way. And I made the decision within the first week of class, I was going to do everything that I could do to interrupt his teaching, to work to make sure that his contract would not be renewed the following year. So I conspired with a group of my fellow students and my father is the president of the school board. Throughout the year, Mr. Heron was very professional with me. He did nothing wrong in his relationship with me. Even though what I did to him was incredibly sinful and wrong. At the end of the academic year, his contract was not renewed. He was effectively fired. The summer after his contract was terminated, as an unbeliever, I began to experience incredible guilt and remorse over my actions. I got Mr. Heron's physical address. I wrote him a letter asking him to forgive me for what I had done. Ten days passed and I got a return letter from him. Up to that point in time in my life, every time that I had done something wrong to someone and asked for their forgiveness, they would make comments like this, oh, that was nothing, Chris. Of course we forgive you. When I got Mr. Heron's letter, how desperately I wanted to hear the words, to see the words written, I forgive you. But as I opened and read the letter, what I found was a catalog of all that had gone wrong in his life and his family's life as a result of what I had done. I was already carrying the guilt of what I had done, the shame, and it only intensified. It was like a dark cloud came and hovered over me. The following summer, I met Jesus Christ. And when I met Jesus Christ, it wasn't the idea about Christ. It wasn't a proposition. It wasn't some sort of intellectual truth that I encountered. But I encountered our living Lord. And in the moment that I encountered him, I will never forget he said to me, Chris, you are forgiven. Come, follow me. And I knew in that moment that even though Mr. Heron could not forgive me of my sin, someone who had greater authority than Mr. Heron spoke those words over my life. Jesus 
saves us from the guilt of sin. And the experience of that in our lives is something that is beautiful and powerful in its own right. This morning, as we prepare to come to the table of our Lord, are you bringing to the table guilt? Are you bringing shame? Is it possible that even because of what you've done, there might even be self-loathing? Well, I will tell you, you can receive at the table of our Lord today forgiveness, pardon, the absolving of the guilt of sin. But Jesus not only saves us from the guilt of sin, Scripture teaches us that he also saves us from the power of sin. The power of sin is described so poignantly in the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 14 through 25. In that passage of Scripture, the Paul uses the rhetorical first person, I, present tense, is in describing the power of sin. What is the power of sin? The good that I know to do, I do not do. But that which I do not want to do, I find myself doing. The power of sin is manifested in our lives when we have the desire to do the good. But we find in the heat of temptation, when strongholds of sin come up in our lives, we find that our best resolve, the biggest, strongest will that we can muster, dissolves in the face of it. We can be honest this morning. It's quite possible to have some degree of satisfaction, some degree of contentment, some degree of happiness in our sin. If you desire sin and you realize that sin in your life, there is some joy that can be had there. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins to change our desire so that we desire to follow Christ, we desire to walk in obedience to Christ, and then we find that we're not able to align our will with that desire, it brings frustration into our lives. What is the source of that frustration? The frustration comes from the disparity that exists between the holiest desires of our heart, the desires that long to give ourselves completely and entirely to God, the desire to love Him and obey Him, to give ourselves in love to others, the disparity between this holiest desire and the reality of the life we actually walk out. It's a miserable life to desire to follow Jesus and not have the power and wherewithal with which to do so. It's a miserable life to desire to be a Christian and not be able to live out the life of a Christian. 
all people who seek to follow Christ, who've experienced the transformation of desire, but have not yet experienced the breaking of the power of sin in their lives. It's like they come to a brick wall that they seemingly can't get past. And it's been my observation that there are one of four responses when we come to that wall in our lives. One response is to simply to acquiesce to the situation, to simply settle in, to accept that maybe what Paul is describing in Romans 7, 14 through 25 is a description of the normative Christian life. That really all we can expect in this life is at times and places, yes, we're able to do the good. Yes, at times and places we're able to avoid evil. But there will always be those times and places where the good that we know to do we're not able to do and the evil we know to avoid we will not be able to avoid. But thank God we are forgiven. One response to simply acquiesce, to settle in. A second response is to turn back and make the decision to no longer follow Christ most of us, if we have come from a fairly healthy home or we've come from a fairly healthy social system, we learn how to manage our sins. We know how to get by in life and to a certain extent from at least our cultural standard to be able to succeed in life. But I will tell you that there are some people who are so broken by the power of sin, they are paralyzed by it. They cannot take one step forward in life. And you tell someone like this, give your life to Jesus Christ and he will change and transform you. And they do everything that you have told them to do. But they experience no change. Many will simply give up on Christ, turn back, and try to find something else that will work. One response is to settle in. A second response is to turn back and go back to our life before Christ. A third response is to believe that somehow Christ can help address the sins that exist in our life on a one-by-one -one basis. So Christ identifies a particular stronghold of sin in our life, and he will address that. And then once we are delivered from that, move to another sin, and then move to another sin. As a matter of fact, what I've described for you would be the most popular evangelical understanding of sanctification or progressive sanctification. But here's the problem. While people espouse this third view, most often what they're living out in their lives is the first. They have simply settled for the status quo and acquiesced to what is described in Romans chapter 7. But there is a fourth view. A fourth response. And that is to believe 
that in Jesus Christ, that wall, that barrier that we face in life can come down in a moment. That we can move through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, truly be set free from the power of sin. So that the good that we know to do, we're empowered to do. And the evil we know to avoid, we're empowered to avoid. I will tell you that the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus is not just a salvation from the guilt of sin. It is a salvation from the power of sin. Hear the good news. Your life does not have to be what we see described in Romans chapter 7. Rather, your life through Christ and the power of the Spirit can be that which is described in Romans chapter 8. That we can be set free. That the holiest desires of our heart can be unshackled and unchained. Our will can be liberated so that we can walk in obedience. But not only are we set free from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. Third, we are set free from the very root of sin. The very condition of sin. As a result of the fall, many of you know this, we come into this life and we have this bent, this propensity, this tendency towards rebellion, disobedience, selfishness, and sin. John Wesley said that even when the power of sin is broken in our lives, sin does not reign, but its presence remains. That we find within ourselves pride, self-will, jealousy, love of people's praise, desire for the things of this world. And that this root of sin, this condition of sin adheres to our words, our thoughts, and our deeds. Oh, there is a glory that comes in having our sins forgiven. There is a glory in having the power of sin broken in our lives. But there is a glory that comes when we are set free from the very root of sin. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In many ways this is Jesus' restatement of what we find in Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44, in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Jesus' statement in Matthew 5:48 is the climax of Jesus' reformulation of the law in which he teaches his disciples that not only does he want outward conformity to the law, but he wants inward conformity as well. The good news in Jesus Christ is that not only can we have outward conformity, but we can be inwardly conformed as well. In Paul's letter, his first letter 
to the church at Thessalonica. Paul sings the praises of the Thessalonian church. They're a church that has experienced what it is to be set free from the guilt and the power of sin. But there is something that is still lacking among them. As a matter of fact, Paul says, I wish that I could come to you and impart to you what is missing in your experience of salvation. And then he climaxes his word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And he says to the church at Thessalonica, and may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 24, he gives this promise. He who has called you will be faithful to do it in you. When we're set free from the guilt, the power, and the root of sin. Please hear me, the ultimate end of being set free from sin is not to be just set free from sin. But it is to be set free to love. To love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be able to love God with our entire being and having no drag, no weight upon the soul that keeps us from loving God with the entirety of our being. So that there is nothing in us that keeps us from being able to give ourselves in love, self-giving love to our neighbor. Full salvation from all sin in order that we might truly move in to the very purposes for which we have been created, which is, as Dr. Donjel said so powerfully yesterday, to be set free to love with the entirety of our being. If you're here this morning, an issue of guilt, shame plagues you, bring it to Jesus' table. If you find yourself in the grip of sin and the power of sin and you're living in the midst of frustration with that and the misery of that, come and bring it to Jesus today. You may be here and you've experienced what it is to be set free from guilt and power, but you still find your soul weighed down with pride, self-will, Jealousy, love of praise, love of this world. Our Lord saves, and he saved to the uttermost. If you stand in front of Hughes Auditorium, and you look to the left, you will see carved in stone, free salvation for all men. Full salvation from all sin. If you look to the right of Hughes Auditorium, you will see Morrison Hall. And if you look to the left of Morrison Hall, inscribed on stone, 
are these words. The whole Bible for the whole world. What is the original context? What is the original meaning of the whole Bible and the whole world? It's found at Hughes Auditorium in the statement. Free salvation for all men. Full salvation from all sin. My sisters and brothers, that's the good news. That's the whole Bible for the whole world. Glory be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.